This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, Episode 18. Character will always find a way to win. Lack of character will always find a way to lose and, and take shortcuts and cheat the system. And, and I want people that are working for the organization to be 100% there for the, uh, the name on the front of the jersey, not for their name on the back of it. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Head Strength and Conditioning Coach at NSCA Headquarters, Scott Caulfield. And with me today, my guest, Ashley Jones, Strength and Conditioning Consultant for Stade Francais in Paris, France. Coach, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Scott. It's a great pleasure to be here at the uh, 40th uh, Annual NSCA convention as well. Yeah, this is exciting. So we are here live at the 40th anniversary, which was just the biggest national conference and any conference for that matter in NSCA history. You've been involved with quite a few of these national events. Talk us a little bit about what was your first experience with the NSCA event and, you know, how, how much have you been uh, involved in these over the years? Well, I guess I, I was uh, born in Australia, and uh, back in 1987, uh, Dr. Gary Egger uh, spoke to uh, Ken Contour about uh, starting a chapter of the NSCA um, in Australia. Uh, became known as uh, NSCA Australasia, and um, I was fortunate enough to have known Gary through the fitness industry, and uh, got my start uh, working with him and uh, teaching on the courses and. Eventually, that um, brought me to a six-month stay in the United States itself at uh, NSA headquarters when it used to be in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, working for, for the organization firsthand. So I guess my uh, involvement goes back to the late 80s, and uh, I did my CSCS uh, in Sydney in, in 1988 and uh, uh, have been pretty much involved ever since. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, that was back when it was in Lincoln. Now it's in Colorado Springs. Super cool. How, um, so what was your kind of first uh, working experience when you were coming up as a strength and conditioning coach? You know, now you've worked a lot with rugby. We'll probably talk about that a little bit. But what, what did you first kind of cut your teeth on, so to speak? Um, I think it was rugby. Back in 1986, I was uh, uh, just deciding where I was going to do my master's degree. I just uh, finished my uh, final undergraduate year and uh, I was playing rugby and I went back to my old club at, in Warringah in a northern beaches suburb of Sydney and and uh, started doing some fitness work, conditioning work basically with the uh, the first and second grade teams and uh, just a purely uh, volunteer perspective and uh, gradually worked my way through until I guess I got my first uh, professional position in 1992 working with the Sydney Kings basketball organisation. So my first pro job was with basketball okay, and then moved from basketball into rugby league, um, which was the professional game in Australia at that particular time. And then uh, rugby developed its professional structure in 1996 and uh, moved across into rugby in New Zealand in 2003 and basically uh, was very fortunate to be involved with uh, a couple of good teams in, in New Zealand, the uh, Crusaders and the All Blacks, and uh, worked my way through there and... Uh, here I am finding myself now in France of all places. <laughs> wow, yeah, and that's quite a quite a career too. How, uh, how about for people who are interested in this, maybe there's some people listening from the UK or Australia or as in the United States as well. How would somebody, is there kind of a standard 
path you'd recommend or you know how would somebody if they wanted to work for a high level rugby program like that how would someone go about that i don't think there's a standard path to any of our jobs really in this industry i think uh i remember back in in 92 when i got the start at uh, the kings and the only reason i got the start was the owner had just come back from uh, a fact-finding uh, mission to the united states and the king's colors were the same as the uh, lakers colors so he'd spent some time with the lakers and uh, he basically saw the players doing some drills, uh, karaoke's and basketball slides and bits and pieces on the court. And, and uh, he saw me doing something similar in warm-ups and, and said, oh, they're doing that in the US, you've got the job. So it was almost uh, by default, really, that I got the position there. And I guess I've been fairly fortunate um, being uh, lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time a lot of the time. But I guess the pathway these days is a lot more difficult. I mean, back in, in the late 80s, early 90s, in Australia particularly, there was very few professional strength and conditioning uh, jobs, let alone people doing those jobs. So, But now, um, I think in the just living in the UK the last few years, I think there's 5,000 graduates from undergraduate and postgraduate degrees every year they are coming out looking for positions in professional strength and conditioning. And so the, the number of jobs obviously is nowhere near that. And... There's a lot of rearranging the uh, the deck chairs right. on the Titanic, so yeah. so to speak. And I spoke to a coach uh, not long ago, and he said, basically, it's a game of musical chairs, and you just hope you're standing next to a chair when the music stops. Oh yeah, yeah. it's very true. But hopefully, it's growing too as a profession. Uh, to maybe not at the same rate as the uh, you know people coming out of school are. But how about if you were um, going to give advice to someone? in preparing to try and get a job what what kind of advice would you have uh as far as maybe education certification specialty courses where they should kind of focus their time i think first and foremost you've got to train yourself i mean i've come across so many graduates that that can't show me the difference between a front and a back squat and uh, there's just so many people that uh, are graduating and and are not practitioners so that's probably first and foremost that uh, I think probably Dave Tate said it probably best of anyone is time under the bar is one of the best experiences that you'll ever have. Um, I'd also like them to have some competition experience in, in powerlifting or, or weightlifting so they actually can understand the processes and, and the plannings and the things like that going through. Uh, to me, it's important to have that experience first and foremost. Um, I've been honoured to have the CSCS for, for 30 odd years, well, close to 30 years now. So uh, that would be high, probably very, very high on my agenda, even more so than a master's degree or anything like that. But I guess I started off as a phys ed teacher because that was the only way you could actually educate yourself towards being a job in sport back in the, back in the uh, uh, late 70s. And uh, in that regard, I sort of based my entire programs on communication and organisation, which is what I learned from my teaching program. But... I was deficient in the sciences, so the uh, amount of metrics and things I've like added coming through now is is that's the that's the part I have to catch my tail. So uh, I think the sports science, the strength and conditioning coaching, they're probably two different pathways and careers. So mm-hmm. I guess it's it's a lot to do with um, where your actual ideas are and where you want to do. But I think it's also coming down to the ability to talk to people and communicate and organise and. Uh, some people are not that good at doing that within the sports science strands and I've had assistant coaches who light the room up when they walk in and uh, that's what I would probably look for as as sort of a a person to work with me is that experience uh, 
certification and uh, personality that's basically make a difference every day they walk in the weight room. Yeah, I think that's a big, really good point to make. And the, I always tell our interns, you know, I use like a slide and had a picture of me back in the day deadlifting and it says never trust a skinny chef. But like you said, I mean, you have to be able to train. And I know Coach McKeefer, uh always said too, if you if you didn't play a sport that just like you said, that competing in some sort of strength sport is very helpful to me. That's kind of why I got into powerlifting and strongman myself. You also mentioned Dave Tate, and I know you've written a bunch for Lead FTS, um, which I've written for them as well why why is that important and kind of doing getting involved in that kind of writing getting uh you know submitting stuff to websites like that i think for me it's uh it's going to be different for everyone obviously but for me it's um it's all about uh sharing information i think uh you get a lot of people particularly in rugby that actually don't share anything of what they do mm-hmm. and i think if you're a young coach coming up uh you're going to make a lot of mistakes and you're going to learn through those mistakes, hopefully. But uh, hopefully the writing that I've been able to write for uh, Elite FTS uh, will allow people to, to make fewer mistakes or to make better judgments on, on particular aspects of programming. But uh, for me, it's, it's, it's also a way of, it's also cathartic as well. It gets, it gets those ideas out and it, it sort of uh, allows me to um, have a feel good factor for myself as well. And uh, and sometimes I struggle with a bit of self-esteem issues and, and basically I think that's a way of uh, uh, assisting in that process sure. of uh, developing other people makes you feel better about yourself in the process. Yeah, and I'm sure you had this experience as well, but whenever I wrote uh, an article that got uh, picked up by Elite FTS, I had uh, a number of people then reach out to me after they read the article um, and I'll this was when I was working with a semi-pro basketball team in the ABA. Uh, a number of Division One college coaches had connected with me that I continued to kind of stay in touch with, and it helped me build my network. So from that standpoint, it was tremendously effective. And I that was, I didn't even know that would happen. I had no idea, like, until I did that. that <laughs> well, funny you should say that because I've, uh, I've got regular contact now with uh, a gentleman in Romania, and uh, he's a, a rugby player and a strength conditioning coach, and... <laughs> Uh, another gentleman in Serbia, um, many people in South Africa. So it's, it's, it's just amazing the number of people across the world. And, and occasionally you, you sort of come to the conference and, and someone recognizes your name and saying, oh, uh, right. you write for Elite FTS. Yeah. I said, well, yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, I read that article. That was, that was a different way of thinking about things. That's a uh, real thanks for that. And it, um, it's an amazing way of, uh, uh, as you say, reaching out and, yeah. and other people reaching out to you. And uh, the network is just unlimited in that situation yeah it was super cool so how else uh you know obviously come into stuff like this how do you build your network and kind of maintain these relationships with other coaches especially being you know overseas majority of your career i think it's, it's extremely important to go to conferences and uh the nsca has been my go-to for so many years now it's it's, it's the conference i try and get to if not every year, every uh, second or third year at the absolute um, outside. Uh, I've been to the UKCA conference, the ASCA conference, uh, and have spoken to those conferences as well. So it's, it's a great way of um, improving your network by, by basically standing around and talking to people. And, and this conference in particular, I think, has been the best content uh, in certain areas that I've, I've come across. And uh, to be able to chat in the exhibition hall as well and talk to 
uh, various uh, exhibitors and uh, then discuss it with other strength and conditioning coaches of what, why was that important or what do you think of that? And uh, I think that's the, the biggie. Um, the regional program here in the United States is, is fantastic. I mean, speaking to some of the uh, people here over the weekend is uh, some of the uh, state directors and regional directors want, have marvelous clinics and now you've got the elite running their uh, performance uh, weekend as well. So there's plenty of opportunities to, to grow the network by basically meeting people through a common love, which is, which is strength and conditioning, obviously. Yeah, I think I agree. This this was such a great conference, and because it had content that people like you have been coaching for well over twenty years got something out of, but it also had stuff for somebody that just came out of grad school that they got something out of. It had something for everybody. That that was really great. And it was also impressive seeing so many first timers here. Right, and right. that was amazing when yeah. sitting in a couple of sessions and the yeah. uh, the intro- introducer would say. Um, how many first timers we got, and nine percent of the room put their hand up. Yeah, so yeah, uh, yeah. it's 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 staying current. I mean, I heard a great quote recently about um, for every year you age as a coach, the age of the athlete stays the same. Yeah, so you're yeah, going to find yeah. new and different ways to maintain that contact and connection with the with the age group that you're actually coaching with, and. Obviously, my age group is probably from 19 to 34, 35 would be yeah. that age group. So every year I get older, they're staying the same. So yeah, um, yeah. I've got to find ways to actually make it interesting for them. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I guess kind of speaking of that, the athletes you work with, how, uh, you know, how, what's kind of def, how do you define your own coaching philosophy with those athletes and kind of what are your visions and goals for the athletes that you train I guess it's um, it's process driven and outcome based. So I think, but unfortunately, we we are always going to be judged by win loss records at the end of a season. So, but hopefully, the the processes that you put in place, and uh, I particularly worked a lot over the last few years in trying to develop a, a quadrant management system, which I've written about with Elite FTS quite a lot, about the the first year in a program that. Uh, players have no control over the degrees of freedom of the program. It's, it's a fairly dictatorial approach, but uh, um, they haven't got a background and some are coming out from academy, some are coming from different programs and things like that. So you really have to be a little bit more authoritarian. But as uh, you move through the years that you're with the, a program, and some people obviously progress a lot quicker than others, uh, pick things up. So you can move from that uh, no degrees of freedom to um, exercise selection is the degree of freedom. So you're allowing them to select exercises that they know and feel work best for them. So it's it's like a pushing option. It can be a horizontal, it can be a vertical, it can be a dumbbell, it can be a, a kettlebell, it can be a barbell, or, or you can have ba- bands and chains and what have you. So you've got plenty of variations, and, and that's probably one thing I do immediately when I get to a new program is to, to work through the, the exercise selection chart of all those major categories. And we might have 47 different ways to squat. Right. So we can actually find something along that way that the player will be able to do obviously with a contact sport like rugby that i've worked in for so long that there's always going to be people banged up that won't be able to do a particular movement so we've got to find options along the way so that second um, aspect of the quadrant is allowing them to choose the exercises uh, the third degree would be and I'm, I'm vacillating between either selecting the method uh, which they've been exposed to previously so it could be cluster sets it could be wave loading it could be straight sets, it could be supersets. However, the number of methods obviously is, is huge with the, 
with strength and conditioning protocol. So uh, whether that's the next degree of freedom or it's the, um, the days of the week that you actually train, do you need, and it was a great uh, session this morning, uh, the dose-related response to, mm. to exercise. Uh, basically, uh, we want to stimulate, not annihilate. Yeah. So what's the, what's the minimum amount of exercise that's going to get the best possible result? And uh, I think that's important is looking at, well, can he squat every seven to ten days? Does he need to squat more frequently? Um, how long does he take to recuperate from a particular session? And then we can actually build the program around that. Uh, does he need more of a speed strength program over a strength speed program or a maximal strength program? Uh, obviously, when they're younger, they're, they're going to basically just have to spend time in the bar and, and get stronger. But obviously, the older athlete, the 30-plus-year-old uh, the athletes may take longer to recover. Uh, I didn't get a chance to ask uh, the speaker yesterday about the, uh, um, the timetabling for recovery and tapering on a contact sport where you obviously have massive amounts of... Uh, uh, creatine kinase uh, released with muscle damage and, and how that affects the recovery. So I've had players that don't really train until Thursday and then we roll them back out again on Saturday. So uh, they're not they're not really doing a, a hell of a lot of training, <laughs> right. but they're keeping their body and soul together, I hope. Yeah. How much has that helped uh, going back to the exercise selection, letting them pick some of the exercises, how much has that helped with buy-in and getting pe- getting athletes to really believe in what you're doing? Because I feel like a lot of with a lot of strength coaches, it's just like, I'm telling you what to do and this is it. But uh, just had D- Jay DeMeo, you know, from Central Virginia Sports Performance on here the other day, and he talked about it a lot, about how letting his athletes make these choices for themselves. Well, I attended his session this morning and uh, – <laughs> And it was just reverberating in my head. What he was saying is what sort of I've been talking about for quite a few years now. And and I think it's massive towards the compliance of the program. Um, If you give the players the tools to basically be their own strength and conditioning coaches, you become an advisor rather than a coach. You're there to correct technique when it needs to be corrected. You're there to assist uh, in developing the culture which become self-motivating to the individual players. And the exercise selection part of that is the first step along that uh, continuum to allow them to have the degrees of freedom to work their own programs out and what works best for them. So someone might get a fantastic response out of bench pressing, whereas some other person might get a better response out of push pressing or incline bench pressing. So, um, And that's that's been a massive uh, uh, positive in, in the programming. And, and the players just, I think they really enjoy it. Yeah. How about, uh, and again, looking at rugby specific, and because I have worked with rugby, uh, you know, at Dartmouth College when I was there as strength coach in Norwich University before that, things that I've kind of noticed, but I want to see what you think. What have you seen as kind of trends, uh, both positive and negative, related to training rugby specifically? I think the biggest thing I've seen, and, and I would like to say that I probably have, maintained about 80% of the, the methods and techniques that I've used over the last 20-odd years. And these are, these are a little wriggle room up there, about 20%, that if there's something interesting that comes on board, something new that comes on board that I, I like to look at, I'll, I'll, I'll put into place and trial. And if it, if it appears to be working and uh, it gets results, yeah, obviously that'll form part of that, that new uh, that top 20% type thing. Uh, but if it doesn't, it's out, and then we'll basically look to see. But I think the the solid core basics don't change. Right. right. I mean, 
you have to get strong before you do anything else. And uh, strength underpins all other biomotor qualities. And uh, if if you're not getting strong, uh, you're basically behind the behind the curve the entire yeah. time. So I think that's the important thing. And and I think a lot of that's why I want people to be actually have trained. Yeah. So to, to know what it is to get strong yeah. and because there is a lot of gimmicks out there. Yeah. You just go and read any publications coming out. You've got um, a wobble board for this and people yeah. squatting on Swiss balls and the whole yeah. gamut of um, circus tricks over yeah. the last um, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Um, so it's important to, to realize, to know what works. And if you don't work it on yourself, you'll, you'll never know yourself. So right. I think people who don't train are more open to uh, uh, the gimmicks than people who actually do train because they know what works. Right, right, yeah. So, what would a what would a like a typical day look like in the life of a professional rugby strength coach? Um, I think uh, I like to get in early and train myself. So, I'm an early riser, much to my wife's disgust. She's a she's a <laughs> night owl. I'm an early morning person, so um, I'll be up around five five thirty and uh, have my double Nespresso and straight to the gym and uh, get my workout out of the way because if you leave it later in the day, I found this something's always going to come up yeah, and yeah. there'll be a coach's meeting called at the last minute or someone will want your time and you just don't you, you're too tired by the well I'm too tired by the end of the day to actually do it so um, it'll get unfortunately missed so if I get it done first and foremost that's that's me out of the way uh, we'll have um, a short meeting with my staff to to see where we are and, and where we need to be for the rest of the day uh, we'll have player monitoring um, which we'll go through and then we basically have uh, unit meetings and then we'll go straight into a, a split. Uh, we'll have on-field warm-ups or weight room, depending on the, the split of the, uh, the session. Uh, and we'll have some speed attached to our, our weight program uh, early on in the week. And uh, probably on the Monday, if we haven't played over the weekend, particularly now it's pre-season, we'll have a lot more time for development of speed because players are fresh and not banged up too much. Uh, we tend to have Wednesdays off, so then, then Thursday becomes a bit of a speed session as well, so they're, they're fresh coming out of their uh, day off. Uh, and then um, there'll be a team lunch around uh, 12, and then the afternoon is more rugby-based um, over, uh, over the last wee while. Although in Paris, where I am now, it's, it's flicked around a bit. We tend to do our, our monitoring first uh, and then go straight into our, our rugby and uh, conditioning work, and we've, we push the, the strength side of the business towards the back end of the day where because we're split through different venues and it's a it's about a 20 25 minute uh, travel time across one side of Paris to okay. a little bit further to actually get that in so and we can't use the the ground uh, at our home ground because it's a, a sacred turf so you can only get on it to a play so okay. we got we got to use a turf field somewhere else yeah. so I, I guess that's probably a standard sort of day yeah. in preseason yeah, obviously yeah. Um, meetings with physios and uh, other support stuff goes throughout that day and uh, you have a lot of uh, corridor meetings as much as uh, yeah, formalized sit down sure. chats about players sure. uh, and obviously the coaching meetings that tend to be the end of the day and uh, yeah. find out what happened and what worked and what didn't and, and how we go about things tomorrow yeah and you mentioned your assistants and you probably have interns uh what what kind of qualities or you know aspects are you looking at when you're hiring people like that well tell you the truth it was it was a tough process this last year when I was in Edinburgh. We we trialled a few ed, uh, through uh, different universities to to get people, and um, we really struggled. And we went to another university, University of Bath, and we found uh, um, 
a really, really good person. And, uh, I mean, it's all about the character, I think. I mean, first and foremost, I will basically judge if a person's going to be with us through the character. And, and it doesn't matter for if it's interns, it doesn't matter for its assistants and, and things like that. They've, they've got to be good people. I mean, if you've read the, the All Black uh, book, The Legacy. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't finished it yet. Yeah, great haven't. book. Yeah. And, uh, and I lived uh, three years of that particular book from 2005 to 2007. And all the things that were written in, and said in that book are 100% happen every single day so the better people make better all blacks uh, philosophy going through that Um, if you pick on character character will always find a way to win lack of character will always find a way to lose and and take shortcuts and cheat the system and and I want people that are working for the organization to be 100% there for the uh, the name on the front of the jersey not for their name on the back of it and, and that's important to me. And, uh, and honesty is extremely important to me. And that usually goes with, with character and integrity are, are basically uh, all there together. Yeah. Um, knowledge I can teach. Right. Right. Character yeah. is formed long before yeah. I'm ever going to meet yeah. anyone in that comes in the program. So if they come from good families, and I mean, recruitment patterns are the same. I mean, um, if, if you recruit, you've got to know where they come from and where their families are like right. and things like that. It, it just pays dividends because yeah. if you don't and you find someone that's a poor character they're going to undermine something in your program yeah. and your program's never going to reach uh, the success levels that it's going to be because they'll find a way to, to lose right. at some stage right right no that's such a great point yeah you you can teach them all those you can teach them x's and o's and how to train but you can't teach that other stuff, emotional ability to emotional intelligence, ability mm-hmm. to build relationships. Yeah, so many of those different things. About um, what do you think, or what would you say that some of the uh, unique challenges of being a professional strength conditioning coach are? Well, I think the art of strength and conditioning is compromise. Mm-hmm. You are constantly compromising or modifying your program. You're going to have players unavailable. You're basically put together this really great three-week uh, cycle and then you're going to get someone who's banged and they won't be able to complete uh, the second half of the second week and then you basically have to take them back and, and try and bring them through again. And then you've got, uh, you've got week break here and a uh, 10-day break there and um, you've got programs that you give the pro- players to take away and you know yourself that 20% are going to do more than what's required, 20% or more are probably going to do nothing. And uh, hopefully the the majority of the group will do somewhere around the midpoint of of what you want them to do. So you're continually having to compromise where you're coming from. And and obviously coaches are going to demand more of your time. They're going to want um, to take a session away from you and say, well, do you really need 30 minutes to to do all your um, performance warm-up? Can we take 15 minutes of that to to throw some skills in? And I think, and, and, and what I, I did when I was younger, I basically kowtowed to, to the head coach. And yeah. I think that's what I've learned more and more so over, over the years is that you, they employed you because they found that you were the best possible person for the job. Right. So in that case, you've got to stand up and say, well, no. Yeah. And, and I think that was the hardest thing for me to say as a young coach to a, to a head coach. Yeah. Um, 
I don't think I ever said no to a head coach right, right. Uh, in my youth growing up. And uh, but now it's it's and I'm still I still work on that every day. I mean, there's certain situations where you're going to say, well, well, I'd prefer not, but but I might have to. Yeah. Um, yeah. If it's good for the program, it's going to be good for everything. But if it's taken away from from vital needs, you've then got to make a a line in the sand, and I guess you've got to fight your battles. And um, I think you're going to compromise some, but I've learned more and more so that pick the battles you want to fight and pick the battles that you know you're going to actually have some leverage and, and probably win them yeah. um, because you can't win them all. Right. And otherwise, if you try, mm-hmm. you're going to be one stressed wee puppy <laughs> at the end of every day. Yeah. And then your life stress balance, you're going to take that home and yeah. Yeah, yeah. suddenly the person you uh, are supposed to spend most of the time with mm-hmm. and uh, enjoy the company and talk to, you actually don't want to talk to anyone. Yeah. So, yeah. And, that, and that falls foul as well. So you got to be uh, realistic about uh, things you can win. Yeah, well, I think you make a great point about this coach has hired you for a reason, and he trusts your judgment and knowledge, so you got to be able to tell him when you feel, hey, look, let me do my job, but don't say it in those words. you got to yeah. educate him on why you do what you do and why it's so important. Uh, you brought up a great topic, which is, again, another one of these questions on here about work-life balance. So, again, professional strength and conditioning can be a grind. Uh, working with teams in different countries, I'm assuming you're, you know, oftentimes long distances. How do you maintain this work-life balance? Well, I think it's uh, – my wife ensures that I do, yeah. so first and foremost. <laughs> uh, so that's very important. And uh, I guess um, oftentimes I'll just want to basically lie around the house on a day off, but she's there. Come on, we've got to do something. Let's go out and, and do something. As much as at the time I probably am a little bit resistant, right. after I get out there and, and spend a half an hour walking around or something like that, then suddenly it's, yeah, that was the right decision and um, and you know better than me what to do. So yeah. um, I think that's very important. It's uh, I think I've used meditation over the, over the years as well cool. and if I'm feeling particularly stressed, I think it's important for me to, to spend some alone time and, and meditation time. Um, the, um, the writings of the Dalai Lama have also been an important part of uh, my um, sort of more spiritual development, which I think has helps me stay uh, relatively sane mm-hmm. over the course of, the, of my life in professional coaching. Yeah. And uh, I think I, I really would have liked to have done some martial art growing mm-hmm. up as a kid, but we never had that sort of access and, and uh, I guess it's one of those things like surfing. If you, you pick it up when you're young, you'll do it for the rest of your life, but if you try and do it, when you're in your 30s or your 40s, it's going to be a lot more difficult to, to, to get to a level. But the meditation, I think, is, is, is very, very important, and that helps me tremendously. Uh, I think that's a great point, and it, especially it's becoming a big uh, – uh, it's kind of a hot topic right now, right, for athletes. But I think absolutely, like you're saying, the coaches should be trying to utilize some of these methods that we're preaching about to, with ourselves to getting away from technology, putting your phone down, mm-hmm. getting off social media at certain periods of time. Yeah, uh, that's a great point. Well, I think that's it's important point. too because – in uh, the Northern Hemisphere rugby, they, they have uh, like top 14, which is the current French competition that I'm, I'm preparing this team for. They have uh, 26 regular season games. And then they have another three playoff games to get the champion of uh, France. But they also have a European competition on top of that as well. So there's another uh, six games in the European program before you get to quarterfinals, finals, uh, semifinals and finals. So if you're one of the best teams in Europe... <laughs> 
you're going to be playing uh, 26, 29, 35, 38 games in the course of a season. Wow. <laughs> and obviously teams rotate players, but we don't rotate staff. Right, right. So you're going to front yeah. every single yeah. week yeah. Uh, in when the, when the team is getting ready. And, and that's a massive stress. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great point. That's a great um, – okay, so I got to – Get to some of my fun questions here, the kind of go-to questions that people listen to this podcast know that we ask, um, a little different, but how about any three people, living, dead, or fictional characters that you'd like to have dinner or a conversation with? Um, well, I'd love to have Keith Richards there, nice. uh, apart from the fact that he can entertain uh, <laughs> the group, uh, the rest of us, with uh, his music and his uh, singing. Um, I think just his life in general is... Uh, has been an amazing, an amazing ride, and uh, having having read about it and things like that, he's, he'd be definitely uh, at the table. Um, definitely uh, the Dalai Lama. Um, this incanta- this uh, incarnation, anyway, yeah. uh, from from what I've seen and read, and uh, and the man himself seems to be just just a phenomenal human being. Um, and I think I'd like to have my father back because uh, he passed away. Uh, back in 2008 and uh, he never got to meet my wife and uh, he always concerned that uh, I was always interested in the physical training side of things and what are you going to do when your body starts breaking down when you're 40 son and uh, you need to get a you need to get a job that's going to be able to take you to the 65 and (laughs) mandatory retirement time in Australia Um, so I'd I'd like to have him there and, and basically say well things have worked out pretty good dad yeah nice that's great uh, how about if you had a magic wand and you could eliminate any coaching practice, what would you get rid of? Can I extend that into just coaching in general? Sure. sure. Um, <laughs> I reckon I'd like to wave that magic wand and get rid of resume fraud. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the thing that's holding us back as a, to move into a profession. I, I don't call us a profession just yet because I think I, I, we're still an industry in my eyes. Yeah. Because there's just so many people who either commit sins of omission or outright um, lies. So at the best, they misrepresent what they've done. And at worst, they're basically fraudulent. So if you're a consultant, there's no shame in saying on the resume that you're a consultant. You don't have to say that you're a uh, strength and conditioning coach or performance coach. When, you, when you're basically not. You're yeah. basically there for a short period of time yeah. assisting the people who are doing the job full-time. Yeah. And if you're an intern or a GA, you're an intern or a GA. Yeah. Don't suddenly become an yeah. uh, assistant coach. Yeah. Uh, and, and that really gets under my skin. And, uh, and I guess it comes down to the honesty, integrity, what we talked about earlier yeah, about character sure. of people. For sure. Um, but um, my father once told me that um, you never have to remember the truth. So these people who lie, right. it, the industry's not that big. Right. right. And I reckon the pair of us could call yeah. up anyone from yeah. any place yeah. and ascertain very quickly if that person actually did what they said they did yeah. and find them out pretty quickly. That's a great, that's a great point. Great point of advice, too, about that. Uh, very good. Um, all right. And how about if you were this far along – in an entirely different career, what would you be doing that wasn't strength and conditioning coaching? Well, I've always loved mathematics. 
And if I had my time again, I probably would have, instead of done a teaching degree outright and been a phys ed teacher and, and taught a little bit of maths on the side and other subjects to, to maintain a full-time position, I probably would have pursued a, 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 like a double major in, say, maths and physics. Nice. Uh, and then I would have understood biomechanics a lot better. Yeah, for sure. Um, obviously, someone like Mel Siff with mm. his doctorate in engineering and his double doctorate in something else <laughs> and, and everything else that he did for the, for the industry over the years with, with the work he did, I then have – but I still want to do a teaching diploma on top of that because yeah. that's – I do that every day. I communicate yeah. and I organize and, and they're the key elements of um, – uh, what I do for 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 my living, really, yeah. um, but I think I would have probably been a, a maths or a physics professor. Okay, very I'd love cool. to have said very I was cool. going to be the lead guitarist for the Rolling Stones, yeah. but uh, <laughs> that ain't going to happen. Very cool. Well, again, I re really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, how about if somebody really heard something in here that they want to kind of continue a conversation with? What's the best way to get in touch with you? I guess my my straight email would be the easiest way. Um, if they're short, sharp questions. It doesn't take me long to respond to it. You'll, you'll get an answer pretty quickly. But if it's a little bit more detailed, you'll, you'll have to be a little bit patient at various times of the year where it might take a few days to get back to you. But I'm, I'm pretty good on email. I don't do social media at all. Okay. I don't have a Twitter account or Instagram or mm -hmm. Facebook or even a LinkedIn page. I, I don't do that. <laughs> but uh, my uh, email address is uh, Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-Y, at AshleyJonesStrengthCoach.com. All right. Excellent. Well, we'll make sure to put that in the notes as well. Coach, thanks again for being on here. I appreciate the time. Great pleasure, Scott. Uh, keep up the great work. It's, um, I didn't expect to be on this, uh, this <laughs> podcast, but it's been a, a really great pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.